0: Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of People First. And my guest this week is Anne Latham, who is known as the Queen of Clarity. And she is the author of a brand new book called The Power of Clarity. In addition to which, she's also authored the Clarity Papers and Uncommon Meetings. You may have guessed the theme of this week's conversation. She is the founder of the U.S.-based consulting firm Uncommon Clarity, and her clients come from more than forty industries and range from organizations such as Boeing, you may have heard of them, Hitachi, and Medtronic, and through to non-profits such as the Public Broadcasting Service, United Way, and various colleges and universities. Anne has been widely quoted and her advice has appeared in publications such as the New York Times, Bloomberg and Management Today. And she is also an expert blogger for Forbes.com. She speaks frequently to audiences around the world and is a guest lecturer for the University of Massachusetts Isenberg School of Management. So I know that we are going to have a powerful conversation and welcome to People First. Thank you very much, Morag. It's great to be here. I'm looking (laughs) forward to this. It's going to be fun. Well, we were talking in the green room, and I prompted you that I only have one scripted question in each of these episodes, and that is when you were a wee lass, you were in elementary school or maybe middle school, and the teacher said, Anne, what do you want to be when you grow up?
0: What was your answer then? Uh, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. and As a matter of fact, I think I figured it out when I turned 50. (laughs) Oh. Oh, Yeah, when I was a wee little thing, I uh I think my theme so I was I was a, a tough little tomboy back because that was back before there were you know it was permissible for little girls to get into sports and and to we had to be tomboys.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember those days. So for the leader uh, for the leaders and listeners who are watching and listening into the podcast then give us the potted history of your career arc that brings you up to date. To now being an authoress with the power of clarity out there,
0: right? Well, I I I, I started off on the path of least resistance. I was uh, I I went to uh, Tufts University in Boston, and I majored in math because I was good at it. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, And because I had a degree in mathematics, I ended up getting into, I actually taught for a little math for a couple of years in there until the students asked me, why do we need to know this? And I said, ta-da, I'll go find out. And so uh, I went and got my first corporate job and as a software engineer, and uh, I worked at many fun companies, great companies on lots of interesting projects, all scientific programming types of applications. And uh, you know, worked my way up through a variety of positions. Um, and at one point, when like I said, about the time I turned 50 and figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up, I, I read a book called Getting Started in Consulting. And at that point, I was in, in my corporate job, I was running cross functional, cross divisional teams that were solving uh, corporate problems that they couldn't figure out anyone else who could help solve them. I mean, it was like, get in, you know, so I I was solving the complicated problems. And um, I read this book, getting started in consulting. And I thought, you know, it would be great to take these skills and to have a broader influence than just my company. And so before I left my corporate job, I asked my boss, my former bosses, my peers, all these coworkers, and said, what is it I do exceptionally well, that is most unusual and the answers I got were wonderful, thoughtful answers all about, you know, I take in massive quantities of information and I get to, I cut to the chase, I find the kernel, I get everyone on the same page and I make things happen by moving things forward one step at a time. And so they they all pointed to this, naming my company Uncommon Clarity. I create clarity. And the, the URL for UncommonClarity.com was available, so that settled that really fast. And, I, you know, but so, it was great because, I, you know, it was this. my brand was me. And um, it was kind of neat. The I remember going out networking and telling people my company was called Uncommon Clarity. And at that point, I was sure that the next words out of my mouth would be complete gibberish, you know. <laughs> I couldn't be able to say anything coherent at all. But so it sounds like the universe was pointing you in that direction. You're now
1: in your dream job. So let's pick up on that word clarity then. Yeah. So why is it, to the name of your, your consulting firm, why is clarity so uncommon?
0: Oh, you know, I've got a whole chapter in my book called We Aren't Wired for Clarity. Okay. And, and actually, the first chapter in the book is called We Aren't as Clear as We Think We Are. And it's costly. And it really starts out helping people see that we aren't as clear as we think we are. We we always talk about being a little unclear, a little confusing, you know, that can be a little clearer, but we don't really we don't really know what that means. We don't even know what the word clarity means. It's a ridiculously unclear word. And so we go through life thinking, well, we're just a smidgen off of a point called clarity. So I start off the book by giving all these examples that are, are not your typical examples that people use to show people that we really are a lot less clear than we think we are. Okay. So, give us one of those examples now then so that you can be as clear in your uncleanness. So that... okay, well, I'll give you, you'll give you one. So a uh, client of mine was at a big healthcare company and he was uh, brand new uh, director reporting to a vice president, and he was asked to look into the idea of putting branded sun cream dispensers in public parks so that m- busy mothers and fathers would be mm-hmm. out in the park and go, oh, I forgot sun cream. Look at, isn't this great? This wonderful company has provided it for us. And so my my client who wasn't a client when this happened by the way you know he wanted to he was brand new he wanted to impress his boss so he dove in and he looked at you know what would it cost to install these what kind of maintenance would be required what kind of permits had other people done this would this be effective as a branding tool and he and his team worked on this for 3 weeks came back to the boss and said here's our recommendation and the boss was appalled because (laughs) another vice president had suggested this idea. The boss thought this was a dumb idea and just wanted this new direct report to go and spend a few minutes and come back and say it's a dumb idea. (laughs) But all the boss said was, look into this. Mm -hmm. And this is like the most vague request ever, but it happens all the time and this poor person spent three weeks almost lost his job almost lost the credit you know probably lost half the credibility of his team lost the faith of his uh his vice president and the vice president never recognized what happened but hired me to come in and help him improve his judgment
1: (laughs) oh my goodness so so there I mean, again, it's semantics, it's the, I, I imagine that there's clarity. I've the, learnt it to my cost, even t- moving from England to America, speaking English to American English, it can be lost in translation. But in that one example there, you give a great um, demonstration of the cost of um, disclarity, certainly at a personal level, a lack of confidence, nearly lost his job. So talk to us more about what is the cost of disclarity at an individual team or organizational level?
0: Right. Well, it's, it's, it certainly is productivity, lost productivity. Um, and then, of course, the lost opportunities that go mm-hmm. with that take much longer than they should. And so there's there's the wasted time and effort of doing things you that aren't necessary a lot of times, but then there is that there's the emotional toil toll. There's the the frustration. There's the morale that gets kicked. You know. There's the uh, l- losing trust with people. Um, the ruined relationships. It, the attrition, the people who just Mm -hmm. get frustrated and leave, especially after their relationships were damaged and they they go off and and try something else. So if you think about the dimensions of cost for clarity, it's all the way across the map. It's pretty much any measure you can think of from the soft measurements to the hardcore profits and productivity and quality. So when you have a
1: leadership team that's ready to accept their culpable negligence. So you mentioned there that leader who was like, well, it wasn't my fault. That was down to the underling. Let's hire a consultant. But what have you seen that other organizations or leaders have tried but failed to implement in an attempt to increase clarity in their organization?
0: Well, okay. So first of all, they since they mostly don't understand how unclear they are, they mm-hmm. mostly are barking up the wrong tree. Huh. But, I can give you, because we, you know, I yeah. <laughs> I can give you one example of uh, things that people have done that completely fail. For instance, everybody knows that meetings take up far more time than they should and produce far too little for their time, right? We spend mm-hmm. up 25% of our time in meetings at most companies, and most people, most leaders would say that not nearly enough comes out of that. So if you look at what people do to improve meetings, it's everything from putting a giant clock on the wall to locking the door at the starting time so that if you're not there on time, you can't get in, to throwing your cell phones in baskets, to uh, creating agendas, assigning timekeepers, assigning minute takers. And all of those things I just mentioned are the common advice for improving meetings. And all of those things are about controlling people and be, as if the people are the problem. And the biggest problem with meetings is that people start meetings without knowing what must be different when they are done. So, yes, we create agendas that are supposed to, you know, there was a time, I think, in about the 90s where everyone said, I'm not even going to a meeting unless there's an agenda. So, we mm-hmm. started creating agendas, and all that accomplished was the proliferation of really bad agendas. were filled with words that I call treadmill verbs. Words like review, report, discuss, share, update. You ever see those on agendas? Oh yeah, one or twice. I may have put them on my own agendas. I'm sorry, Anne. (laughs) I call these treadmill verbs because it's like being on a treadmill. There is no way to know when you're done. There Mm -hmm. is no outcome. If you ask someone to report, you're giving them permission to just talk without purpose. They might want to try to impress you, they might want to make it look like it was a successful week when it wasn't, they might want to tell you every detail. There's no defined outcome, there's no way to know when they're done either. So, here we are, coming up with all these rules and all these agendas that do nothing to improve the one thing that matters, and that is being crystal clear about what tangible concrete outcome will we have when we walk out? that we didn't have coming in. What decisions do we need? What plans do we need? What resolutions for problems do we need? What authorization do we need? What confirmation do we need? What lists of resources or risks or criteria for making decisions do we need? All of those I just named are destination, related to destination verbs like decide, plan, list, where it's completely clear what you need it's concrete, tangible outcome that will be different when you're done. So it's uncommon, but it sounds like common sense.
1: Yes. So what? Why don't we do it?
0: Uh, we, like I say, well, first of all, like I say earlier, we don't we don't even know what clarity is, we never mm-hmm. know how unclear we are. So one of the things I talk about in the book is that we need a continuum. We need to realize that. It's not just clarity floating around out here, but one end of the spectrum is what I call disclarity, which is a complete Mm -hmm. lack of clarity, and the other is uncommon clarity. And if people realize, you know, they think they're a little off of the point called clarity and they realize, well, no, we're probably not uncommonly clear, but where are we? And so in my first chapter with all these examples, like the one I gave you about look into this, If that's not a zero on the extreme disclarity end of the spectrum, I don't know what is. So first, we have to realize how big this spectrum is and start being more able to specify where we stand. So why aren't we as clear? We've never been taught this. We've never even thought about the scale. We've never been taught how to be clear. We don't know how to be really specific. Meanwhile, we're not wired for clarity. We like to talk. Mm When someone asks a question, we like to talk. So if it's a vague question, so what? We like to talk. We we hear what we want to hear. We uh, like to solve problems, so we dive in without planning, even though we all know that you should read the instructions before you start assembling something, or you should make a plan before you start doing things. We just like to dive in. So our, mm. our natural tendency isn't to stop and create clarity. It isn't to stop and say, what exactly are we trying to accomplish? How will we get there? With whom must we work? And what will be different when we're done? That's not what we all do. It's interesting.
1: It makes me think about Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, and he talks in his books, like what got you here, won't get you there, et cetera, about adding too much value And I think that goes back to that desire of, well, if I don't have an answer, if I don't have an opinion, if I don't share and talk about it ad nauseum, then I'm not adding value or demonstrating the value that I bring to the organization, which is almost a fear-based mentality. So for those listening, what
0: are the three keys then to uncommon clarity? Well, the first one is specificity. Being much more specific. If if, in, if that woman or that vice president instead of said "look into this," had said, "I would like a recommendation," or "I would like your gut reaction," those are you know mm-hmm. totally different. You could get much greater. That's much more specific. Um, you know, we think our objectives are specific, but when you really look at it, they're not very specific. So specificity is the first. Process clarity is second. What's the process? And I redefine process. Most people think of process as a series of steps, a series of activities. To me, a process is a series of intermediate outcomes that eventually get you to your final outcome. So each step of the way should produce a concrete, tangible outcome that it unleashes next steps so you can move forward. The third piece is focus. So if you know exactly what you're trying to accomplish, and you know how you're going to get there with your process clarity, you need the ability to focus. You need to know, you need to turn off all the distractions. You need to prevent disruptions. And you need to also have all the resources ready and on hand, the people you need, whatever you need, so that you won't interrupt yourself. Well, we interrupt ourselves anyway, but we don't, you'll, you'll have the luxury of driving through and accomplishing what you set out to accomplish. So to me, one of the most important, if you want one thing to concentrate on, you ask yourself that question, what means to be different when I'm done? What needs to be different 15 minutes from now? What needs mm-hmm. to be different an hour from now? What needs to be different by lunchtime? What needs to be different by the end of the day? And if you come up with concrete, tangible outcomes, you will make much greater progress than if you just sit down and start, you know, doing stuff.
1: <laughs> I like that, that whole, what, and I like the way you've chunked it down into meaningful milestones of even what needs to be different by lunchtime or in the next five minutes versus sometimes I see leaders struggling with the enormity of change that they're trying to make out as a three to five year time horizon. So that's an inside-out approach, but that still assumes that I am effective in communicating what I want to be different by lunchtime. So what's one piece of advice then you have for leaders so that they can harness clarity and get that outside-in feedback
0: on, am I really talking the same language? Am I really being clear? Um, Well, if if you're building something or you're creating like a marketing plan or something like that, or a document, or that's one thing. Cause you ought to be able to be pretty clear about what that needs to look like. But in general, if you're trying to make progress on anything, there are six, what I call six cognitive objects that will make a difference and unleash next steps. And the first is a decision. So, are you? What decisions do we need to move things forward? And actually, I'll I'll take a minute to tell a story. Mm-hmm. I was talking to three executives at a, a little lunch in London, and these three women were complaining about their superiors and all the you know struggles they were having getting things done. And so I sat and I listened. I listened to what they were saying, uh, and I realized that and told them that if you go back and ask for decisions on these eight things that will unleash all your problems so they were stuck on in multiple fronts because they didn't have specific decisions about eight different things and so decisions are probably the most important thing we do in our business and our lives, but decisions unleash next steps. And so if you can just be clear about what decisions do we need next and the one after that, so that we can move things forward, that's a huge step forward. So with that, what authorizations do we need? What plans do we need? What uh, problem resolutions do we need? And those, those are Real things that will move stuff forward. Those are tangible, concrete outcomes. And the last one that I didn't, well, I think there's two I didn't mention. One's confirmation. That's like an authorization. It's like if you are in a meeting and you say, look, I've done this and now I intend to do this. Am I on the right track? And Mm -hmm. what we want in that case is a yes or a no. You get a yes and you go, great, you've just unleashed my next step. I can go and move ahead. If you get a no, then you need to stop and ask some questions, probably take it offline and figure out what's wrong. But what do we do? Because we're not wired for clarity. Everyone starts providing advice, not just on step two, but on step 10, which we haven't even mm-hmm. started about. They start telling their war stories. They start explaining what happened to them back when they were working on a project like this. And they fill you with information. And meanwhile, the person who wants that confirmation, am I on the right track? is sitting there going, okay, please, all I want is a yes or a no. But they didn't ask for a yes or no. They weren't that specific. So they get this huge, what I call a kitchen sink conversation that doesn't move anything forward. If they talk about everything, including the kitchen sink, <laughs> and they don't give the one thing the person needs, which is a yes or no.
1: So it sounds like it comes down to focus, not just focus on what do we want to have different in the future, but focus on the language and the words we're using to position that dialogue with others so that it is bounded as opposed to open ended and that nebulous
0: that you just described right. there. Yeah, are, There are just those six cognitive objects. And if you are always working towards one of those, you will move things forward and you will be able to be specific. So notwithstanding that you are the
1: queen of clarity in writing and researching the book, what did you discover about your own approach to clarity that has helped you to move the needle
0: there? Yeah. Okay. so when I first started my company, uh, I discovered very early that when I told people my company was called Uncommon Clarity, they all said, oh, we could use some of that. But they never hired me for that. They hired me for strategic planning. They hired me to improve their executive team function. They hired me to improve processes. They hired me for a lot of things, but they hired me for specific problems that they had not clarity. So, I made my living that way. And then, while I was doing that, I was writing articles. I was an, the, an expert blogger on Forbes. I was writing a lot of articles, publishing a lot in a lot of places, and writing a couple of books, but. What I was always writing about was how to create clarity. And so this book, my newest book, The Power of Clarity, is really figuring out how I can help other people create the clarity the way I have been creating clarity all these years. What I really want to do is teach the world how to do it so I can quit doing it. (laughs) (laughs) They can do it for themselves. (laughs) I
1: love that. And having read The Power of Clarity, I recommend it. It will be one of my go-to reference guides for leaders at all stages of their career. So in addition to getting their hands on a copy of The Power of Clarity, how else can people listening to this podcast learn more about you and the real work that you do or want to do? (laughs)
0: No, the real work I want to do is make the world clear. So I want mm-hmm. people to read the book. Um, my website is annlatham.com, and there you can, from there you can get to all my books, and you can get to uh, information about my services and the articles I've written, and all that kind of stuff. So, but I highly recommend you read the Power of Clarity because we've only touched on a little bit, tiny, tiny pieces of it. And I wrote it because the opportunity that greater clarity provides is enormous. And since people are clarity blind, they don't recognize that they don't see it. They just think we could use a little of that. But the Mm -hmm. the ability to, for instance, potentially quadruple your productivity is real. It's there. And to get to five minute powerful meetings that accomplish real things instead of hour long meetings that have to be rescheduled, it's there. It tells you how to do that. And on that note, I love that
1: idea. Thank you for sharing your insights with our uh, leaders here
0: on People First. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow SkyTeam and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at infoskyteam.com. At That's S K Y E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today, and remember business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.